Letter forty six of Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter forty six. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Sunday morning, April ninth. Nobody, it seems, will go to church this day. No blessing to be expected, perhaps, upon views so worldly, and in some so cruel. They have a mistrust that I have some device in my head. Betty has been looking among my clothes. I found her, on coming up from depositing my letter to Lovelace, for I have written, peering among them, for I had left the key in the lock. She coloured and was confounded to be caught. But I only said I should be accustomed to any sort of treatment in time, if she had her orders, those were enough for her. She owned, in her confusion, that a motion had been made to abridge me of my airings, and the report she should make would be of no disadvantage to me. One of my friends, she told me, urged, in my behalf, that there was no need of laying me under greater restraint, since Mr. Lovelace's threatening to rescue me by violence, were I to have been carried to my uncle's, was a conviction that I had no design to go to him voluntarily, and that if I had, I should have made preparations of that kind before now, and most probably had been detected in them. Hence it was also inferred that there was no room to doubt, but I would at last comply. And, added the bold creature, if you don't intend to do so, your conduct, miss, seems strange to me. Only thus she reconciled it, that I had gone so far, I knew not how to come off genteelly, and she fancied I should, in full congregation on Wednesday, give Mr. Solmes my hand. And then, said the confident wench, as the learned Dr. Brand took his text last Sunday, there will be joy in heaven. This is the substance of my letter to Mr. Lovelace that I have reasons of the greatest consequence to myself, and which, when known, must satisfy him, to suspend for the present my intention of leaving my father's house, that I have hopes that matters may be brought to an happy conclusion, without taking a step which nothing but the last necessity could justify, and that he may depend upon my promise, that I will die, rather than consent to marry Mr. Solmes. And so I am preparing myself to stand the shock of his exclamatory reply. But be that what it will, it cannot affect me so much as the apprehensions of what may happen to me next Tuesday or Wednesday, for now those apprehensions engage my whole attention, and make me sick at the very heart. Sunday, four in the afternoon. My letter is not yet taken away. If he should not send for it, or take it, or come hither on my not meeting him to-morrow, in doubt of what may have befallen me, what shall I do? Why had I any concerns with this sex, I that was so happy till I knew this man? I dined in the ivy summer-house. My request to do so was complied with at the first word. To show I meant nothing, I went again into the house with Betty, as soon as I had dined. I thought it was not amiss to ask this liberty. The weather seemed to be set in fine. Who knows what Tuesday or Wednesday may produce? Sunday evening, seven o'clock. There remains my letter still. He is busied, I suppose, in his preparations for to-morrow. But then he has servants. Does the man think he is so secure of me that, having appointed, he need not give himself any further concern about me till the very moment? He knows how I am beset. He knows not what may happen. I may be ill, or still more closely watched or confined than before. The correspondence might be discovered. It might be necessary to vary the scheme. I might be forced into measures which might entirely frustrate my purpose. I might have new doubts. I might suggest something more convenient for anything he knew. What can the man mean, I wonder? Yet it shall lie, for if he has it any time before the appointed hour, it will save me declaring to him personally my changed purpose, and the trouble of contending with him on that score. If he send for it at all, he will see by the date that he might have had it in time, and if he be put to any inconvenience from shortness of notice, let him take it for his pains. Sunday night, nine o'clock. It is determined, it seems, to send for Mrs. Norton to be here on Tuesday to dinner, and she is to stay with me for a whole week. 
so she is first to endeavour to persuade me to comply and when the violence is done she is to comfort me and try to reconcile me to my fate they expect fits and fetches betty insolently tells me and expostulations and exclamations without number but everybody will be prepared for them and when it's over it's over and i shall be easy and pacified when i find i can't help it monday morning april tenth seven o'clock oh my dear there yet lies the letter just as i left it does he think he is so sure of me perhaps he imagines that i dare not alter my purpose i wish i had never known him i begin now to see this rashness in the light every one else would have seen it in had i been guilty of it but what can i do if he come to-day at the appointed time if he receive not the letter i must see him or he will think something has befallen me and certainly will come to the house as certainly he will be insulted and what in that case may be the consequence then i as good as promised that i would take the first opportunity to see him if i change my mind and to give him my reasons for it i have no doubt but he will be out of humour upon it but better if we meet that he should go away dissatisfied with me than that i should go away dissatisfied with myself yet short as the time is he may still perhaps send and get the letter as something may have happened to prevent him which when known will excuse him after i have disappointed him more than once before on a requested interview only it is impossible he should not have a curiosity at least to know if something has not happened and whether my mind hold or not in this more important case and yet as i rashly confirm my resolution by a second letter i begin now to doubt it nine o'clock my cousin dolly hervey slid the enclosed letter into my hand as i passed by her coming out of the garden dearest madam i have got intelligence from one who pretends to know everything that you must be married on wednesday morning to mr solmes perhaps however she says this only to vex me for it is that saucy creature betty barnes a license is got as she says and so far she went as to tell me bidding me say nothing but she knew i would that mr brand is to marry you for dr lewen i hear refuses unless your consent can be obtained and they have heard that he does not approve of their proceedings against you mr brand i am told is to have his fortune made by uncle harlowe and among them you will know better than i what to make of all these matters for sometimes i think betty tells me things as if i should not tell you and yet expects that i will for there is great whispering between miss harlowe and her and i have observed that when their whispering is over betty comes and tells me something by way of secret she and all the world know how much i love you and so i would have them it is an honour to me to love a young lady who is and ever was an honour to all her family let them say what they will but from a more certain authority than betty's i can assure you but i must beg of you to burn this letter that you are to be searched once more for letters and for pen and ink for they know you write something they pretend to have come at from one of mr lovelace's servants which they hope to make something of i know not for certain what it is he must be a very vile and wicked man who would boast of a lady's favour to him and reveal secrets but mr lovelace i dare say is too much of a gentleman to be guilty of such ingratitude then they have a notion from that false betty i believe that you intend to take something to make yourself sick and so they will search for files and powders and such like if nothing shall be found that will increase their suspicions you are to be used more kindly by your papa when you appear before them all than he of late has used you yet sick or well alas my dear cousin you must be married but your husband is to go home every night without you till you are reconciled to him and so illness can be no pretence to save you they are sure you will make a good wife so would not i unless i liked my husband and mr solmes is always telling them how he will purchase your love by rich presents a sycophant man i wish he and betty barnes were to come together and he would beat her every day after what i told you i need not advise you to secure everything you would not have seen once more let me beg that you will burn this letter and pray dearest madam do not take anything that may prejudice your health for that will not do i am your truly loving cousin d h when i first read my cousin's letter i was half inclined to resume my former intention especially as my countermanding letter was not taken away 
and as my heart ached at the thoughts of the conflict I must expect to have with him on my refusal. For see him for a few moments I doubt I must, lest he should take some rash resolutions, especially as he has reason to expect I will see him. But hear your words, that all punctilio is at an end, the moment I am out of my father's house, added to the still more cogent considerations of duty and reputation, determine me once more against the rash step. And it will be very hard, although no seasonable fainting or wished-for fit should stand my friend, if I cannot gain one month, or fortnight, or week, and have still more hopes that I shall prevail for some delay, from my cousin's intimation that the good Dr. Lewin refuses to give his assistance to their projects, if they have not my consent, and thinks me cruelly used, since, without taking notice that I am apprised of this, I can plead a scruple of conscience, and insist upon having that worthy divine's opinion upon it, in which, enforced as I shall enforce it, my mother will surely second me, my Aunt Harvey and Mrs. Norton will support her, the suspension must follow, and I can but get away afterwards. But if they will compel me, if they will give me no time, if nobody will be moved, if it be resolved that the ceremony should be read over my constrained hand, why then, alas, what then? I can but— But what? Oh, my dear, this home shall never have my vows, I am resolved, and I will say nothing but no, as long as I shall be able to speak, and who will presume to look upon such an act of violence as a marriage? It is impossible, surely, that a father and mother can see such a dreadful compulsion offered to their child, but if mine should withdraw and leave the task to my brother and sister, they will have no mercy." I am grieved to be driven to have recourse to the following artifices. I have given them a clue by the feather of a pen sticking out, where they will find such of my hidden stories, as I intend they shall find. Two or three little essays I have left easy to be seen of my own writing. About a dozen lines also of a letter begun to you, in which I express my hopes, although I say that appearances are against me, and that my friends will relent. They know from your mother, by my uncle Antony, that somehow or other I now and then get a letter to you, in this piece of a letter I declare renewedly my firm resolution to give up the man so obnoxious to my family, on their releasing me from the address of the other. Near the essays I have left the copy of my letter to Lady Drayton, which, affording arguments suitable to my case, may chance, thus accidentally to be fallen upon, to incline them to favour me. I have reserves of pens and ink, you may believe, and one or two in the ivy summer-house, with which I shall amuse myself, in order to lighten, if possible, those apprehensions which more and more affect me, as Wednesday, the day of trial, approaches. End of letter 46